Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Nat Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to episode 140 of Let's Get Haunted, and we are back with another haunting. This time it's Nat's turn to regale me with a horrifying tale from the deep dark interwebs. But before we do that, we are going to go through our intro, which includes our own personal hauntings, thanking our donors and cleaning house. So if this is your very first time to listen to this podcast and you want to skip the intro, then you can open up the show notes right now. The very first sentence in all caps will say skip to this time to get directly to the story from the title. That's right. Like Natalia said, just expand those show notes and we don't want to hear anyone complaining about the intro because we have now said it twice. All you got to do is go to skip to and that timestamp and then you will be right as rain. Hey, aunties. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is Nat. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you guys for bearing with us during this episode. The audio did not turn out exactly as high quality as Allie and I had hoped for. We were trying a new method of recording that we thought would end up saving us time, but it actually recorded this episode with way lesser quality. We really do our best to give you guys the best possible product we can every single week that we put an episode out, and we were both very displeased with this audio, but we didn't have enough time to re-record it. Additionally, I had pneumonia during this time. You might hear me take loud breaths or you might hear that my voice sounds a little bit strange on top of the quality issue. However, we both did have a lot of fun recording this episode. So I hope you guys have a good time listening to it and thanks for supporting us through thick and thin. We love you guys and we will get through these technology hauntings. We'll do it together as a haunted family. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped. Ladies, our friends at Manscaped are here with a deal you can't pass over this Easter season. They've got the tools to give the man in your life the beautifully decorated eggs of his dreams. Just because it's Easter doesn't mean it's okay for him to hide his manhood behind all that grass. Make sure his downstairs lawn is mowed and get him feeling sweet as candy by going to manscaped.com and getting 20% off plus free shipping with our code Let's Get Haunted. It's time to put all your eggs into the perfect basket with the Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped. Inside this ball care bunny basket, 
basket, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker 2.0 ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, Performance Boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all his goodies. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is an elite electric trimmer. It has their proprietary advanced skin safe technology that is designed to trim hair on loose skin like balls. The Lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof and equipped with an LED light so you can keep eyes on those eggs even in the dark. The Easter Bunny dropped off an extra special gift with Performance Package by adding the upgraded Weed Whacker 2.0 nose and ear hair trimmer, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in his delicate nose and ear holes. This package also comes with their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Yeah, you heard that right. This is ball deodorant that can change his life and yours, potentially. April is Easter, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Manscaped is committed to raising awareness for the most common form of cancer in men aged 15 to 35 and giving support for fighters, survivors, and families impacted by testicular cancer as part of their We Save Balls initiative. My favorite Manscaped product personally is the Weed Whacker 2.0 Nose and ear hair trimmer. Now, I really would like to be a doctor because I would really like to perform surgery. Now, I am not allowed to be a doctor legally because I have not gone to med school and done a residency. However, when I use my Weed Whacker 2.0 nose and ear hair trimmer, I feel like I'm doing tiny surgery on a grape. And if you remember, don't know if you recall or not, but they did surgery on a grape. You too can achieve the same level of precision that was achieved whilst we did surgery on a grape with the Weed Whacker 2.0 nose and ear hair trimmer. So go to manscaped.com today and save 20% off plus free shipping with the code Let's Get Haunted at manscaped.com. You heard that right. 20% off and free shipping with the code Let's Get Haunted at manscaped.com. Hop in to the best deal of the year with Manscaped. Um, Natalia, how is your day going so far? Uh, we both look very displeased. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm having like a long ass day, but you know, we, so Allie and I have been trying to stack episodes because she's going out of town for two weeks. So we have to get like three episodes ahead. So that means there needs to be like a week or so where we cram a bunch but and and so we had it like kind of all together where we were going to record like what twice a week or something like that up until we had enough but then I got sick with pneumonia so we had to push Mm. some of the recordings back and now we've just been like we've recorded like three times this week and it's just been a lot of work and I I always get really disoriented during those times because it's just like okay I'm editing and recording and researching and like you know what I mean just on the computer all day and so I feel like these always breed the most unhinged episodes when we're doing it this way. I am a big fan of the unhinged episodes. I know I said that uh, two episodes ago when we covered the rake, but I still feel that way. I really like the unhinged shit that like is almost a shit post, but then also is real, like a real yeah. deep dive research session. You know, I think that that's what's beautiful about Let's Get Haunted is we're covering not just the old paranormal stories, but also right. the new. And I saw a very nice compliment on our subreddit 
on the discussion thread for the rake that I wanted to repeat. Thank you very much to whoever left it. I did not screenshot it, so I'm paraphrasing. But basically, somebody said just that. They said, oh, I really like that they covered the story of the rake and that they're not afraid to talk about new topics because a lot of paranormal podcasts will only talk about like, I don't know, like a classic Charles Dickens haunting, which we definitely also cover. And I also love those. But yeah. It's nice to be a part of a podcast where there's a good variety of NPR and then unhinged. Yeah. Well, my specialty is definitely the unhinged. I feel like the NPR ones really push me to my breaking point. <laughs> and then the, what follows is like the next couple episodes will be very unhinged kind of chaotic shit posts. So that is the cycle for me. And then I'm like, hey, I'm not a trash person. I can do interviews and I can edit together scores to put in the background of this to make it seem really cinematic and then after I do that I'm like that was so much fucking work and no one even gives a shit I'm gonna go back to talking about treasure and pirates yeah <laughs> I hope that that's what's in store for me today because we haven't had a good treasure legend in a while but if that's not I don't want to put any expectations on the table so if that's not what today's topic is that's also fine but if it is about treasure you know that I love to see you love treasure I do love treasure okay I'm trying to think of what personal haunting I can choose from today Okay. Oh, you know what? Here's a personal haunting I have. Now that I'm not sick anymore and I got home from Florida, my horse is here, like all that bullshit, whatever. I had my first lesson with my horse and I do not remember how to ride the horse. Okay. You know that scene from Ricky Bobby, like in Talladega Nights where he <laughs> goes on the racetrack. It's like after he has his wreck. And so he's going like 35 miles an hour and he's going really slow. And they're like, okay, Ricky, got to get a little bit faster. You're going, you know, 35 miles an hour. And he's like, what was that? was that the other cars and they're going like 200 yeah. miles an hour next to him i feel like that like i feel like it is so fucking fast and my trainer is like you gotta go faster you gotta have a bigger canter you gotta be in your two point faster and she's like all right like raising up the jumps to be higher and shit and i'm like bitch what the fuck are we doing right now like why is this shit so fucking scary is this what i was doing a couple weeks ago like is this how fast i was going at the show and she was like uh yeah except for the time that you fell off but yeah, you got to go this fast. And I'm just like, this is really oh. scary. I don't know. Oh, like, you know, there are some parallels here between your horse event and Ricky Bobby's crash where he caught on fire, right? Because he was, that's what made him scared is that he right. crashed and, oh no, he wasn't on fire. He thought he was no, on he fire. He was Wait, on fire. okay. I, quick, quick thing. I just want to say, I learned recently that there is such a thing as invisible fire. And I saw, I literally watched a video. I don't know if it was Formula One or NASCAR. I don't remember, but I watched a video where a driver was literally on fire with invisible fire and everyone ran out and had to put him out. What? Wait, it's like a chemical fire? Yeah, like it's like a, some what? sort of chemical. Hold on. Let me find it. So it let was, me find it. Because Ricky Bobby is, is historical. Is a historical he was documentary. Gaslit. Wow. Yeah, he was <laughs> He was gaslit. Everyone was trying to tell him there's nothing wrong with you, Ricky Bobby, but he could have been on fire with invisible flames. I know that there's like that one sketch or whatever from SNL or something where the guy's like been in a coma for a really long time for like 10 years or something. And so when he wakes up, he had just seen Borat and he was like quoting and like saying all this stuff from Borat. And everyone was like, why is he like talking about Borat? That's like 10 years old. And they're like, oh, he was in a coma. Like he didn't get to go through it where he just like quoted all this stuff. And then he was like quoting Anchorman and like quoting all this stuff. And everyone was like, why is he doing that? And I kind of feel like that because I feel like 
those are my comfort movies like that era of just like stupid improv humor you know like Anchorman Talladega Nights like basically all all of that shit like I did not grow up beyond that like Nacho Libre like I did not evolve from that I mean you're naming a lot of classics I feel like that should be required watching in any film history 101 class you know I think yeah. that those movies have definitely left like a core memory in me and probably an indelible mark on society but more importantly Ricky Bobby really exposed me to the horrors of invisible fire and I sent you a link in the zoom chat that I would like you to click on because it is it is real I didn't is make it up someone gonna die I don't want to watch people die no no nobody dies I wouldn't do that that's strange oh, wait what this is weird wait, what am i oh oh what oh my god this is real this yes. is weird oh it's so weird like the crew's trying to get away from it i don't know how you're gonna see this maybe we link it or something okay it's called invisible flames a terrifying methanol fuel fire consumes rick mirrors after a refueling mishap during the 1981 indy 500 methanol and burns that his name is rick too oh wow that is weird yeah this is the craziest thing like it like it's the guy is pulling in from the indy 500 and the whole crew just runs away from his car and it's invisible right that's but the, it's that's invisible the so everyone's part. running away away from something that's not there and then the guy gets out of the car and he's like patting himself i mean it, it looks exactly like what ricky bobby was doing so i guess that was real that wasn't okay. like just a stu a joke where he was like being overreactive i thought that was the joke was that he's like overreacting oh, no, that, that was know? the joke yeah that oh. was the joke i'm joking when i say people were gaslighting him but oh. it is interesting well, that invisible fire really is a thing i don't understand the nuances of this conversation anymore i don't know what's happening is talladega nights <laughs> a true story you know what moving on yeah <laughs> so any other personal hauntings natalia i don't know my i feel like i said i feel like the whole day has been haunted no, no what's your haunted personal thing I don't know. I've just been pissed off all day because I was in such a good mood after we recorded something the other night. And then I was editing and then I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm making such great headway because I'm leaving for Japan like immediately. Right. And so I was like, OK, I need to get all this stuff done. And I thought I was making good progress. And then my new laptop, which apparently has like no fucking memory it was a it was a gift so like i i didn't get to pick out like what the specs were or anything but i was obviously very grateful to get a laptop that ran but it just i guess has the lowest amount of memory possible for a macbook and it keeps crashing and i keep having to delete applications and delete old files and it's still crashing and i'm like halfway through a three-hour edit for something that natalia and i recorded and i i was just getting so angry you know what it is Okay, this is why I'm angry. Sorry, scratch everything except for it's all still valid. The reason why I'm mad is because it's prohibiting me from being efficient. I have so many fucking things I need to get done before I leave, before I go on a two-week vacation from my job. I have so many things to get done at work. I have so many things to get done in my personal life. I have errands to run. Japan's super strict about their traveling requirements. I'm trying to like fulfill all of those requirements and make sure I have all of my paperwork in order and stuff. And then on top of it, I'm trying to edit a couple of different things for the podcast before I leave in a couple of days. And when I need my computer
order to work the most efficiently, it just fucking takes a shit and dies. And that is something that has always irritated me about podcasting is that it seems on the face of it so easy, so simple. Oh, just plug in a microphone to your computer and open iMovie and oh, just record and everything's fine. Like, no, that's not how it is in reality. It's not how it is. It's hard. There's a, such a barrier to entry that I don't think people even understand exists. And we're constantly trying to improve ourselves. And so all of the money we make just goes directly to the podcast, which results in us just not getting paid for our labor. And so it is very irritating to me when another, yet another piece of equipment has betrayed me on this journey. And so now I'm looking at having to buy another computer. I'm so mad. I'm just so mad about it. Yeah. I mean, I can 100% relate to that. Remember when I was still editing our blogs and stuff on my laptop and I, you would yeah. be like, hey, where is it? And I would be like, I have to delete all of this shit off of my laptop, like all of these applications. I have to delete all of this stuff. It's constantly crashing. And you would be like, oh, well, can you like, you know, just send me part of it and then I'll edit part of it or something. I can't even do that because it would crash. So I, I was just like literally doing in the same position as you. And so I, I don't even use a fucking laptop anymore because I can tell you just from the little tech that I understand, a laptop does not have enough RAM. It doesn't have enough like space to hold temporary files that it can take three hours of video recording with the high quality mic that we have. So that's why I think in the future, it's better for us to do it in segments. So that way you don't have to have like a three hour long file that you're editing. Instead, you could have a 30 minute one and then another 30 minute one and a 30 minute one and export them as you go if you need. But yeah, it's, it's... yeah, but that still takes up the same amount of memory, like four different 30 it, it minute files ram- is still going to. I don't know how to explain this correctly, but I can just tell you that I'm telling the truth from experience. I know (laughs) if I have a video file that is a 10 minutes long and I put it in my timeline to edit versus having three video files that are three and a half minutes long, it will accept those shorter ones better than it will the long one. It just takes up a lot of like memory. It's called RAM. It takes up like a lot of the memory. uh, It's like short term memory on a computer for it to have big files like that. It's just big files fuck up shit. That's just what it is. Well, we've never done video before where like we have to have it on our computers. And then I upgraded my camera for all of the reasons I explained in a previous episode. Yeah, and that just probably and made it I had worse done, because and it's I had like done a bigger a file now. Sims 4, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so I had done a Sims 4 speed build um, and uploaded it to the Patreon and everyone was like super nice and everyone's so supportive on there. And I love all of the haunties that have joined the Patreon. But you know, there were a couple comments about like, oh, the audio, the video quality is not good. And I went back and I looked at it and I was like, oh shit, it's not. It like maxed out at 760. So then I'm like trying to make sure for this last thing that we recorded that the video is going to be recording and what in the level that it needs to be recording at. And then now it's like my computer just doesn't work. And I'm so frustrated. And I have this external hard drive that I bought last year, but Mac can't fucking figure out what ports it wants to use. Like half the shit it makes only has USB ports. Then the newer shit only has USB-C ports. Okay, so then you have to buy an adapter and then, oh, but the adapter is actually not good enough because just the adapter isn't sufficient. You also got to download this driver. Oh, you just updated your software to the Mac OS 13.2 Ventura? Oh, well, guess what? Now you have to download a new driver. Oh, But now, because you did download those two drivers, your MacBook is out of memory. Go fuck yourself. 
I wish I had more uplifting shit to say. You're going to be on the journey that I was on like five years ago before I switched over to Windows because I was like, just fuck this shit. When you're editing big files, the Mac sucks. I know that there's a lot of photographers that use it. Like every photographer that I've ever known has always had like a big Mac computer. So maybe with images, it's different. But I know there's just more you can do with a Windows computer or whatever other option that's not that doesn't run on Mac. Mac is supposed to be like user friendly, simple, right? But now you're getting into skills that require more technique and that require you to know what are you inputting your mic with and what are you outputting the sound with and are you using 4K video? Are you using stereo or mono? Like all this kind of shit. There's more options you need now because you're a professional podcaster. So I'm sorry that that you're on that journey. It sucks. I hate that journey. I'm glad I've already finished it. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, if anyone would like to (laughs) donate a desktop computer to the LGH studio, let us know. We have a P.O. Box. P.O. Box 1658 Camarillo, California 93011. Um, And tonight I will surely be smashing my MacBook into a wall along with my head. And... Thank you so much, as always, to our donors. Without you guys, the show is not possible, and we really appreciate you. We have two tiers available to join if people listening are interested and are not already in the Patreon fandom. We have deactivated all other ways to donate to us, so if you would like to continue donating and get some extra content in return, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's get haunted. And I would love to give a big shout out to Free Bingo H. Sophie H, Riley, Jordan B, Tara Lee, Dana C, Sarah L, Katrina C, Thaddeus G, Sydney S, Alyssa S, Tajakester, Lauren I, Shane, Mary A, Rory L, Chinua, Ileana M, Jesse W, Sofa, Halen O, The Poo Poo Flinga, <laughs> Hexylvania Snow, Simp on 98, Ashley R, Ashley, the famous Ashley R, who runs at SP7 Updates, Ginny B, Olivia M, Ashley W, Aya, Jasmine C, Abigail A, Tyler B, Michael R, Samantha P, Roger D, Rose, Edwina, Z Sweet, Brandon R, Lisa H, Ashley K, Jelly, Jello R, Brenna M, Perry I, Bella, Nicholas M, Elena B, Maddie V, Kevin H, Maria S, Hannah L, Ruben P, Chanel C, Justin M, Brett is in the bathtub, Jocelyn, Erica B, Charlie M, Shannon C, Lindsay, Jessica W, Christina T, Erd Ferguson, <laughs> like Turd Ferguson, Dulissa D, Kylie M, Harvey A, Ivan L, Haley A, Kathleen O, Danny, Patricia M, or Patricia M, Amanda P, Maria M, Jessica M. Oh, I don't want to dox you, Jessica, but just let you know, like every time I've ever seen your last name, I think it's the coolest last name ever. So shout out Jessica M. Dorothy M. My grandma's name was Dorothy, and she was quite delightful. Brielle, Jenna S, Kinsley M, Padaka and Sandy, or Padaka and Sandy? Let me know, guys. If I'm mispronouncing your names, just leave a comment anywhere on the Patreon and I will see it. Miss Natty Cat, Ripley F, Zeke G, again, another infamous member of the Haunties, Amanda S, Emma D, Rebecca H, Lindsay M, Cetus, like Cletus, Taylor M, Anna S, Katrine R, G, 
Alex W, Madison M, Julia M, Alex P, Laura K, Sabrina P, Amanda S, Mary Grace G, and Rachel G, and Nicole Stockfish, who has made stickers for us before that are up on her Etsy if you want to check those out. Yeah, wow. Thank you guys so much. Incredible. Yeah, I feel really good about the Patreon. I was thinking about that today. I'm very grateful for that. We haven't had it too long and we already have a good amount of people subscribe to it. And I don't know, maybe if we just keep working hard, it's all going to pay off because we'll be able to make enough off of Patreon that maybe you can like quit your job in the future. You know, maybe we can afford to pay other people to edit for us. Yeah, we just got to stay positive. That's all it takes. Yeah. Gotta stay positive. Uh, first things first, need a new computer. So again, I'm just going to put this out into the universe. If somebody out there has an old computer that still is perfectly fine and has a lot of RAM and CPU and memory and whatever else we need and wants to donate it for our office, a desktop computer, get at us because I am at my wits end. Um, I wanted to take a moment to shout out a new fan run meme account for Let's Get Haunted that was recently created by a, a haunty you guys might know Red Moon Witchery or October Noir Vita, same person as Super OG Haunty. And the handle is Let's Get Haunted Memes on Instagram. Let's Get Haunted Memes. I, for one, am very excited about this endeavor. And anyone else who has any sort of fan run stuff that they want to shout out, tag Allie or I and get our attention. And we would love to shout you guys out if you have any sort of Let's Get Haunted, Haunty fan run stuff. We are trying to support you guys. Yeah, definitely. And if you guys make any fan art that you end up selling on Etsy, just go ahead. The easiest way to get a shout out for that um, in a way that neither of us will forget is if you send something like let's say you made an LGH sticker that you're selling or an LGH pin. If you send us something in the mail to the P.O. box, we will give you all of the advertisement you could have ever imagined because we do end up showing what we got most of the time and we'll also talk about it and shout out your Etsy handle. So thank you so much to everybody, all of the haunties. We could not do this without you. Okay, let's get into today's story. See you beneath yon cloud so dark. Fast gliding along a gloomy bark, her sails are full, though the wind is still, and there blows not a breath her sails to fill. Oh, what doth that vessel of darkness bear? The silent calm of the grave is there, save now and again a death knell rung, and the flap of the sails with night fog hung. There lieth a wreck on the dismal shore, of cold and pitiless Labrador, where under the full moon upon mounts of frost full many a mariner's bones are tossed. Yon shadowy bark hath been to that wreck, and the dim blue fire that lights her deck doth play on as pale and livid a crew as ever yet drank the churchyard dew. To dead man's isle, in the eye of the blast, to dead man's isle, she speeds her fast, by skeleton shapes her sails are furled, and the hand that steers is not of this world. Oh, hurry thee on, oh, hurry thee on, thou terrible bark, ere the night be gone, nor let morning look on so foul a sight as would blanch forever her rosy light. Ooh, okay. So this, okay, the only clue I'm getting from this is that it's going to be something that has to do with a ship, it sounds like. 
Yes, that was a poem that was written by Thomas More in 1804 called Written on Passing Dead Man's Island in the Gulf of St. Lawrence late in the evening, September 1804. Wait, so is this story about an island? This is the story of the Flying Dutchman. <gasps> okay, wait, I'm actually very excited because my exposure to the Flying Dutchman is SpongeBob. So I am excited to know the real true tale of who the Flying Dutchman was, what was his deal, what was he up to, and why do we care about him? Okay, but I just remembered I forgot something that I did. I was trying to get like a cool pirate voice from like the SpongeBob Flying Dutchman, the AI like text-to-speech generator. They have a bunch that are like pirate whatever. And I was trying to get them to do our intro and they were so bad and I fucking recorded them because I <laughs> wanted you to hear them. And so now I just remembered and I need to play these for you. Hold on. I'm ready. First one is Arnold Schwarzenegger. We're Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Nat Strong and Ali. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Nat Strong (laughs) and Ali. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Nat Strong and Ali. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Nat Strong and Ali. Okay, that one is, is that? It's called Esponja Bob. Okay, this one's 50 Cent the Rapper. Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Ness Ramanoli. That just Welcome sounds like to- a Russian guy. Anyways, that was just a side quest that I decided to do today. Thank you for joining me on that. So now it back to our episode. So what is the Flying Dutchman? The Flying Dutchman is a legendary ghost ship whose presence came carries with it such a weight of evil that simply seeing the Flying Dutchman is sure to doom anyone who gazes upon her. But what might be the origins of the Flying Dutchman, you are asking? And I'm saying thank you for asking such a good question. The tale of the Flying Dutchman has been passed down through the ages by means of song, plays, operas, poems, movies, and even whispers. Basically, as long as seamen have been sailing the sea, the Flying Dutchman has been a harbinger of bad luck. Just about every other detail aside from the known fact that seeing the Flying Dutchman is a really bad omen is up for debate. Even the name Flying Dutchman is argued about, as some believe the name refers to the ship itself, and others believe that the Flying Dutchman is actually the captain of the doomed vessel. In today's episode of Let's Get Haunted, we are going to do just that, get haunted. So let's start examining this tale for all of its parts so we can live our best doomed ship lives. What do you know about the Flying Dutchman, Allie? So like I said, my only exposure to it is SpongeBob when they go on that quest to find the Dutchman's treasure. And in that episode of SpongeBob, there was literally a ghost ship and with like a ghost captain and they just like sailed above them, but in the ocean. So I always thought that it referred to the captain of the ship, but perhaps I am mistaken. Well, there's so many different versions of the story because this is like a really popular sort of nautical folklore myth that we're not really sure when it started. We started to see it become more popularized in the 17th century because that's when we started seeing poems written and ship logs referring to the Flying Dutchman. But, you know, there were always captains logs before that that mentioned ghost ships 
they just weren't as popular as the Flying Dutchman. But there's tons of different versions of the tale. Like I said, sometimes the ship is called the Flying Dutchman. Sometimes the captain is the Flying Dutchman. And they all have different nuances and variants to them. And they're all equally fascinating. So we're going to go through some of these origin stories and see if we can get to the bottom of this and get to the bottom of Davy Jones' locker, perhaps. I'm excited. Yeah, if there's an opportunity for us to find the lost treasure, I think we should take it and use that money to get a new desktop computer for the LGH studio. Mm -hmm. According to the legend, the Flying Dutchman is doomed to sail the seas and oceans for eternity, never able to actually return back home with her crew. According to the sources, the Flying Dutchman was a specter or a ghastly vessel that appeared to other crews and ships during storms or before disaster to warn them. The ghostly ship had the appearance of being dark and decaying or otherwise wrecked, but still afloat somehow. There was often an aura or a ghostly illuminating light that highlighted the terrible ship against the pitch black seas during a tempest. And the story of the Flying Dutchman can be traced back to the 17th century. During that time, nautical folklore was of the utmost importance. I cannot stress that enough. Sailors were extremely superstitious, and they did not take their seafaring legends lightly. People would see this ghost boat and freak the fuck out. It was something that was spoken about among sailors the same way that they might exchange information about the weather. Because seeing the Flying Dutchman was in a way like forecast of doom. So if you saw the Flying Dutchman when you were out, when you came to port, the rumor that someone had seen the Flying Dutchman would spread super, super fast. If someone had seen the Flying Dutchman when they were out, no one's going to go fucking sail now for like the next few days because they do oh. not want to get caught in a storm or you don't want to assume associate with the person who's like oh well i saw the flying dutchman it's like okay get the fuck away from me you know because <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen to them it's really a bad omen and to demonstrate how superstitious sailors were about this we have a firsthand account from someone who was actually able to witness it themselves so according to one source there was this petty thief he was a pickpocket named george barrington and he was sentenced to go to australia in 1790 Remember how like they used to send criminals from England and from the UK or whatever it was then to Australia when they're being bad boys? Yeah, I've heard that, but I never have Googled it to look into like why or when or how. So are you about to tell me that? Um, No, I'm very interested in those things <laughs> as well. But yeah, I, that's so interesting. But I just believed them when they were like, OK, he was sentenced to go to Australia in 1790. I was like, OK. I believe him. No need to delve further because I already accept it. Barrington wrote about this journey to Australia in a publication entitled A Voyage to Botany Bay from 1795. The passage reads, I had often heard of the superstition of sailors respecting apparitions and doom, but had never given much credit to the report. It seems that some years since a Dutch man of war was lost off the Cape of Good Hope and every soul on board perished, her consort weathered the gale and arrived soon after at the Cape. Having refitted and returning to Europe, they were assailed by a violent tempest nearly in the same latitude. In the night watch, some of the people saw or imagined they saw a vessel standing for them under a full press of sail as though she would run them down. One in particular affirmed it was the ship that had foundered in the former gale and that it must certainly be her or the apparition of her. 
but on its clearing up the object, a dark and thick cloud just disappeared. Nothing could do away the idea of this phenomena on the minds of the sailors, and on their relating the circumstances when they arrived in port, the story spread like wildfire. The supposed phantom was called the Flying Dutchman. From the Dutch, the English seamen got the infatuation, and there are very few India men. But what has someone on board who pretends to have seen the apparition? Now, that's their just like fucked up, weird 1700s way of saying that because the Flying Dutchman was Dutch, the English people on board were like, oh, they became obsessed with it because it was like closer to their culture. And then he says there were not that many, I guess, I guess. India men is a man from India, I'm going to assume. I don't know. He's like, there weren't very many of them on board, but the one that was on board pretended to have seen the ghost, the ghost ship. This is basically like a hater dude. He's saying, hey, you know, I went on this ship to Australia. I was already in a bad mood because I was like a prisoner and I would like didn't even do that bad of a thing because I was like a petty thief pickpocket. But now I'm literally on a ship and it's like as bad as it could be. They just told me a story about a ghost ship that they saw and there was a violent storm and I thought I was going to drown and I was like okay this is it this is the end of my life but wait it actually got worse because now they're telling me that I'm not going to drown but that ship was actually a ghost and the ship is now going to haunt me so I don't know what to do with this information uh, (laughs) but I guess I'll write it down and publish it in uh, publication don't know new life in Australia I feel like that's what you've got to do if something so unbelievable happens to you that you are now fearing for your life you should just publish it just publish it far and wide that way if something does happen to you the authorities can't be like oh we know that she was found uh decapitated with all of her fingers cut off um and we know that she had like posted on live journal that this was going to happen to her but we actually think it was suicide like no if something crazy and supernatural is happening to you just go ahead and, and call daily mail and release an article just in case. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. Remember I had like this get rich quick scheme a long time ago about the Daily Mail. Do you remember what it was? Oh, you wanted to take a shit off the side of a boat and have me film it. And then we were going to release it to Daily Mail or sell it to them. But there was no middle part. No, 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 no. You're mishearing. I was saying we would film someone else doing it. And I was even trying to convince you to do it because I didn't want to be the star of it, but I wanted the $10,000. But I think it was just a really simple plan. It was we were going to get a film of someone taking a shit like a off the side of a boat, <laughs> like a yacht, uh, like Kylie Jenner type person. I don't know. Somehow get it and then sell it to the Daily Mail for $10,000. It seems like a pretty simple plan. I don't understand your confusion. I mean, it makes sense if it's Kylie Jenner. Um, If it's just one of us, I don't think anyone would pay even one cent for that video. Dream big. And if you miss, you'll aim, you'll land in the stars. Right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Dream big, poop big, live your dreams, get your desktop computer after selling a video of someone pooping to the Daily Mail. (laughs) Don't worry about all the steps in between. Just do it. Get your computer. I feel like someone who has like an old like desktop computer that they want to update, like this is the perfect excuse for them now because they can get rid of that and feel good about themselves. Maybe even do a tax deduction writable off thing. I was about to say. Yeah. 
I know yeah. I was about to say, do we, uh, let's register as a 501c3 or whatever it was where you were like, yellow this deli. is what that yellow deli cult has. Like, let's register as that, find some loopholes, get a, a computer. Yeah, we're getting close. There was another publication called Scenes of Infancy that was published in 1803 by John Layden. John says, quote, it is a common superstition of mariners that in the high southern latitudes on the coast of Africa, hurricanes are frequently ushered in by the appearance of a specter ship denominated the Flying Dutchman. The crew of this vessel are supposed to have been guilty of some dreadful crime in the infancy of navigation and have been stricken with pestilence and are ordained still to traverse the ocean on which they perished till the period of their penance expire. End quote. So do you know where the Cape of Good Hope is? No. The Cape of Good Hope is the southern tip of Africa. It's a place that's really hard to sail around. There's a lot of storms that happen down there. And that's like the main place that people see the Flying Dutchman. What that guy is saying is that according to the superstition, anytime there's going to be like a storm that ends up like fucking people up and ships go down and there's going to be shipwrecks. It's ushered in by seeing the Flying Dutchman. I like that. I like hauntings that are region specific. Mm -hmm. There's something about the idea of a like old grizzled ghost of a Dutchman flying possibly a ship also named Dutchman um, <laughs> that is just like he's confined to this one little square of space. And right. so he's just like constantly going around in a circle just over and over and over again. That to me is very scary. I just had a thought that if they're both named, no, this is, I don't know. This is stupid. I, I, there's no way to say it. It was just, um, we're like running on like one, one, a half a brain cell. Yeah. Yeah. I like barely slept last night. Okay. Some people think that the legend of the Flying Dutchman could be traced back to the 17th century Dutch captain who was named Bernard Folk. Folk had worked for the Dutch East India Trading Company, and Folk was super fast. That's what he was known for. Everyone was like, that guy, Folk, he's fucking fast, bro. <laughs> to demonstrate his abilities, in 1678, Folk traveled the distance between the Dutch Republic and Java in just over three months. Now, when I read that, I was like, that sounds really fucking slow. Imagine anything taking three months to get to me is just seems uh, like something not to brag about. And apparently, though, that was really fast. Then I don't know. That was super fast. It was so fast that people didn't believe it was possible they were like there's no way he's actually making that journey in time it's got to be a hoax of some sort i don't know how you would fake that or why you would fake that but apparently they thought he was and so he was like no no, no this is real and to prove that he could actually do it that quickly he got these letters from this governor named Rick Jalof Van Goen, and he had the guy sign the letters and do his seal on it and everything, and he delivered it three months later. And at the new location, people were like, oh, yeah, like wow. he couldn't forge these letters. This is real. Um, but I don't know how you would even like, couldn't he just forge those letters? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Maybe the technology back then was much more simple. And maybe uh, the technology like, was, was like a... a pen, like a quill yeah. and ink. <laughs> They're like, he couldn't have had access to a quill. Therefore, <laughs> he could not have forged it. So people like just thought it was so fucking crazy that he was this fast. And they thought it was so important that they ended up erecting a statue of him on this small island near the harbor of Batavia. But Batavia? 
Anyways, they ended up erecting this statue of him on this tiny island. But people were like, it was controversial that he was so fast. So people were like, no, 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 he's he's too swift. And this is just not right. Like, I believe he (laughs) sold his soul to the devil to be this quick. It makes no sense. I can't explain it. I don't understand the science. So I think that he's in league with the devil. Then they ended up destroying his statue a few years later because they were like, no, that guy was too fast. And in... (laughs) In their defense, though, I looked up a picture of him and he like literally does kind of look like he's in league with the devil. devil. Yeah, let me show you a picture of him. Is it bad that it's sort of refreshing to like hear a man in history being accused of essentially sorcery? It is kind of refreshing. You're right. Can you see what he looks like? Oh, shit. All right. If you guys want to see this drawing that Natalia is showing me, you can go to at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram and check out the photo dump for this episode. But yeah, I mean, that man looks like the devil. Um, You know what he looks like? <laughs> Captain Hook. He absolutely right. looks like Captain Hook. Um, The only difference is he has a different nose because Captain Hook was literally a cartoon man who had a giant hooked nose. And this guy just has like a normal, no- a non-cartoon nose. Yeah. But he, yeah, he's got like the curly little mustache with a soul patch the only non-devil entity that's allowed to have a soul patch is the mayor of Flavortown and I can tell you right now that this man that I'm looking at right now has never tried any flavor in his life he sold his soul to the devil I'm on board he flies through the sky enters a wormhole and that's how he's able to get places in three months yeah Uh, It made me think, though, like, would you sell your soul to the devil to be really good at something? No, the answer is no. However, in a previous episode, I said something like um, I could see myself being so afraid of death that like I accidentally enter into a pact to gain immortality and then like really regretting it down the line because I'm just like a weird rake creature crawling (laughs) on the floor of like public restrooms. That's what I imagined an immortal person would do. So no, I don't think so. But I'm always super paranoid that I'm going to accidentally do something to compromise my soul. Wow. But okay. So you wouldn't sell your soul to the devil for us to be making like, I don't know, like $100,000 a month on this podcast and like be able to just quit your job. And and, I mean, if we were making a million dollars a year on this podcast, like, fuck, man, that would be fucking awesome. You wouldn't sell your soul to the devil to do that? No, because... Uh, What I learned from our Kennedy curse episode is that even when you have a shit ton of money or sometimes because you have so much money, you actually have more opportunities to have a super shitty curse time in life um, and like crash your little tiny airplane into a bog and then it and then you survive, but it catches on fire and then you like uh, die suffocating on ants i don't know i'm trying to imagine something really (laughs) terrible like that's what that episode taught me is like not only will you be cursed but also your entire lineage Mm -hmm. and i don't want that guilt on my conscience Mm, okay i was really hoping that you would sacrifice your soul to the devil so we could make (laughs) a million dollars a year on the podcast you know i nominate Natalia Strawn, attorney at law, <laughs> Esquire, Junior the third. I nominate you to uh to make that pact for yourself. Don't don't drag my sorry soul into this. Thank you. Thank you. You're putting a lot of faith in me. 
Bernard Folk's story about just being the really fast Dutch dude that ended up being called the Flying Dutchman isn't the only origin story that we have for the Flying Dutchman. There's also this other guy named Vanderdecken. Have you heard of Vanderdecken? No, but I like his last name. He sounds Dutch. He was Dutch. He was a captain who also worked for the Dutch East India Trading Company, and he was an explorer named Vander Decken. We don't know a whole lot about him because it was a really fucking long time ago, and so a lot of records have been lost. But we also know that perhaps he went by Cornelius Vander Decken, but I'm just going to call him oh, Vander Decken. Basically, the gist of his story is that his ship got stuck in a storm near the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa, where all of those hurricanes happened. And he looked around and he saw that the seas were super rough and he knew that the fate of his ship and his crew was looking really grim. And any sane captain would just turn back or wait out the storm. But instead, he was like, no, I'm not going to let this storm take me down. I instead am going to vow that I will finish my voyage, even if it takes me until judgment day and according to the legend that vow pleased the devil who then forced Vanderdecken to sail the seas for eternity and I I thought it was weird because he's like literally he's like literally on a, a work trip right like he was I mean I don't know a whole lot about what it was like to be like a merchant ship sailor captain for the Dutch East India Trading Company maybe it was like a major hustle where you're kind of like a freelancer and you get paid based off of like what you can deliver and like what amount of time I don't know maybe they were salaried I, I don't know but I do find it interesting that he was like so determined to keep sailing through this storm, even though he like was working. You know what I mean? I, okay, but I'm now thinking, did Vander Decken accidentally enter into a pact with the devil? You know what I mean? Like, the, again, right. this is a situation I think I could find myself in where I'm like on a plane that's in a lot of turbulence and I'm like, oh, holy shit. Like, if I live through this, like, I will never complain about flying ever again. And then me thinking, that like, you know, God is going to hear me, but then it's actually just like some little like dude in a cape with like a pointy chin. And he's like, oh, that's what I wanted to hear. I'll save you. And then like forces me to fly on an airplane for the all of rest of eternity until the world explodes into the sun. Oh, right. Yeah. You Okay. So in that situation, maybe you would be praying like, oh God, like, please just help me to be safe. Don't crash the plane. Like never let the plane crash. And then the devil like twists your words and is like, oh, never let the plane crash. Well, it'll never fucking land. We will be flying around exactly. forever. Yes. Um, and if you'd like a little peek into the psychosis I go into on a plane, the entire time I'm on a plane, I never stop praying. And I, I think it's because, you know what, not even going to self-diagnose. I'm just going to explain to you what I do. You all form your own conclusions. So when I'm on a plane, I, first of all, religiously watch my phone because most accidents happen statistically in the first 15 minutes and last 15 minutes of every flight. So I will watch my phone religiously. And then, but then even after that, I don't feel better. So I don't know why I do that. But I have this weird thing in my head where I'm like, if I don't do that, then we are going to crash. Like the fate of this plane rests on my shoulders. I need to be nervous. I need to be looking at the phone. I need to know what time it is. I need to be counting the minutes. And then on top of it, I need to say prayers the whole time. And the prayer is very specific. I have to say, please allow us to have a safe takeoff, a safe ascent, 
a safe cruising altitude, a safe descent, and a safe landing, and a safe taxiing. Please watch over all of the passengers on this plane, all of the stewards, stewardesses, staff, and pilots, and co-pilots, and anybody else that I'm forgetting about. And I have to say that over and over and over and over and over until the plane lands. And if I don't say shit in that order, then the plane is going to crash. See, mine's so much more simple. Like, I just touch the plane before I get on, and then I don't, and then it's good. But I do have to touch the plane before I get on. Well, actually, no, there's been a few times where I didn't touch it. And I'm like, "Eh, it's probably fine. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you don't have a whole lot of trust in God. Like you think he's trying to trick you. You're like, well, if I just pray that we have a safe taxiing, then what if we don't have a safe landing? You know, like, do you really think like there's someone up in the pearly gates and they're listening to your prayer and just like just trying to catch you and and, like find like holes in your your prayer as if it's some sort of of contract you're making with God and they're like oh well actually she said that she wanted the stewardesses to be safe but she didn't say that they, she wanted the wheels to touch down and not explode so we can't not do that you know well it's definitely illogical and that's why I say uh, I don't want to trigger anyone so I will not make any assumptions about any sort of cause that could could be for that type of behavior so wait is this controversial because you're thinking that you have OCD but you can't say it because then people who have OCD will be like oh you can't have OCD is that what you're saying you know I'm not sure I who is to say <laughs> um who okay. can ever know the truth Certainly not I. It sounds like you know the truth and I know the truth. And I think everyone else who's going to hear that is going to know the truth as well. Now you got to think of a prayer to get rid of it, though. Maybe like maybe you can make it work for you. You know, like, can you use your powers to somehow undo your own curse? Right. Like maybe the Flying Dutchman can do it for Mm. themselves. Like they can use their haunting against them. After I listen to this story, Let's go ahead and try to summon the spirit of the Flying Dutchman into my life. Maybe he'll take me out to dinner. Maybe he'll give me the secrets that I need to know about immortality and flying and being on a plane comfortably. He probably will be able to do that because if his ship flies like in the SpongeBob episode that I saw, then he's certainly comfortable flying. Now we are going to read a story that was written in May of 1821. It was printed in Blackwood's Edinburgh magazine entitled Vanderdecken's Message Home. And it's a play that is based on the legend of the flying Dutchman Vanderdecken that we just talked about. And the story reads as if it's Captain Vanderdecken's letter back home written in first person. So basically in this story, Captain Vanderdecken is out sailing around the Cape of Good Hope and he sees this mountain in the distance and this mountain is called Table Mountain because it's kind of like a plateau. It looks like a table and so people see it when they're sailing around the Cape of Good Hope and it's one of the major landmarks like, oh, we saw the the Table Mountain or whatever. So he's like using Table Mountain as a landmark and of course, as you would guess, the day starts to get a little bit more stormy and everything was feeling good at first and now the the winds are changing. Quote, the day had grown dull and hazy and the breeze which had formerly blown fresh 
now sometimes subsided almost entirely, and then recovering its strength for a short time and changing its direction, blew with temporary violence and died away again, as if exercising a melancholy caprice. A heavy swell began to come from the southeast, our sails flapped against the mast, and the ship rolled from side to side, as heavy as if she had been waterlogged. There was so little wind that she would not steer, end quote. So they lost the wind, essentially. I don't know why he can't just say, like, hey, there was wind so we couldn't go i don't know why he had to like make it all creepy and weird like that then some time went by around 2 p.m there was another squall that happened and they were gonna get excited at first like oh maybe the wind is back on our side but no it was thunder it was rain quote the seamen growing restless looked anxiously ahead they said we would have a dirty night of it and that it would not be worthwhile to turn into their hammocks as the second mate was describing a gale he had encountered off of cape race newfoundland we were suddenly taken all aback and the blast came upon us furiously. We continued to scud under a double reefed mainsail and foretop sail till dusk, but as the sea ran high, the captain thought it safest to bring her to. The watch on deck consisted of four men, one of whom was appointed to keep a lookout ahead, for weather was so hazy that we could not see two cables linked from the bows. This man, whose name was Tom Willis, went frequently to the bows as if to observe something, and when the others called to him inquiring what he was looking at, he would give no definite answer. They therefore went also to the bows and appeared startled and at first said nothing but presently one of them cried william go call the watch the seamen having been asleep in their hammocks murmured at this unseasonable summons and called to know how it looked upon the deck to which tom willis replied come up and see what we are minding is not on the deck but ahead on hearing this, they ran up without putting on their jackets, and when they came to the bows, there was a whispering. One of them asked, Where is she? I do not see her. To which another replied, The last flight of lightning showed that there was not a reef in one of her sails, but we, who know her history, know that all her canvas will never carry her into port. By this time, the talking of the seamen had brought some of the passengers on deck. They could see nothing, however, for the ship was surrounded by thick darkness, and by the noise of the dashing waters, and the seamen evaded the questions that were put to them. So basically, long story short, all these dudes are trying to sleep, but they can't because there's like a crazy storm going on. And then like the people who are on the lookout are like, they think that they see something in the distance, but no one really knows what it is. And they all are just like, what's going on? I have been on a cruise ship one time in my life, and it is very disorienting looking off into the distance and seeing nothing but water. And we were not in a storm. And I was just very unsettled and uncomfortable with the idea of not being able to see land. So I can't imagine being in the middle of a three-month journey or how, however long this particular journey was going to take. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're just in a fight for your life. I saw something on Reddit recently that showed a ship that was going over tsunami waves. I believe it was a Japanese ship. And I think it was a video about that crazy tsunami that went through Japan a few years ago. And something that someone in the comments said was that if you have a ship that's like docked in an area where there's going to be a tsunami coming through, you are ordered to take the ship out on the sea and face the tsunami waves head on because you actually have a higher probability of surviving. 
when you do that versus when you leave it on the shore. And so it was just these guys. Yeah. And these crazy waves. And, you know, you go over the top and then there's just like a free fall on the all the way down. It's like nuts. So, yeah, I cannot imagine how terrifying that would be. Yeah. Super uncool, especially since like it's just dark at night. Like when there's a storm, it's just completely dark. They probably don't have very much, very like any lighting on the ship because it's all like like oil lamps and stuff that are super flammable so if the ship is rolling back and forth the candles are getting blown out or you just blow them out so their fire doesn't start because that the only thing that could make shit worse if you were in pitch black on a boat that's just being rocked by the ocean is if it was also on fire yeah absolutely and if there was also a ghost at this juncture the chaplain came on deck He was a man of grave and modest demeanor and was much liked among the seamen who called him Gentle George. Gentle George overheard one of the men asking another if they had ever seen the Flying Dutchman before and if he knew the story about her, to which the other replied, I have never heard of her beating about in these seas. What is the reason she never reaches port? The first speaker replied, They give different reasons for it, but my story is this. She was an Amsterdam vessel and sailed from that port 70 years ago. Her master's name was Vanderdecken. He was a staunch seaman and would have his own way in spite of the devil. For all that, never a sailor under him had a reason to complain. Though how is it on board with them now, nobody knows. The story is this, that in doubling the Cape, they were a long day trying to weather the Table Bay, which we saw this morning. However, the wind headed them and went against them more and more, and Vanderdecken walked the deck, swearing at the wind. Just after sunset, a vessel spoke him, asking if he did not mean to go into the bay that night. Vanderdecken replied, May I be eternally damned if I do, though I should beat about here till the day of judgment. And to be sure, Vanderdecken never did go into that bay, for it is believed that he continues to beat about in these seas still and will do so long enough. This vessel is never seen with the foul weather along with her. To which another replied, We must keep clear of her. They say that her captain mans his jolly boat when a vessel comes in sight and tries hard to get alongside to put letters on board, but no good comes to them who have communication with him. Tom Willis said, There is such a sea between us at present as should keep us safe from such visits. To which the other one answered, We cannot trust to that if Vanderdecken sends out his men. So basically, now all of the men are like, hey, shit's kind of scary. Um, Like, not to be weird or anything, but has anyone ever heard of the Flying Dutchman? Because, like, I'm thinking of the Flying Dutchman right now. Like, are you guys thinking of the Flying Dutchman? And then everyone's like, oh, well, I haven't seen it, but I do know the story of it. And apparently, like, the Flying Dutchman was born in the in the place that we are sailing right now. Like, the Vanderdecken guy, the oh. story... The origin story is from the exact space that we are in right now. And apparently Vanderdecken was in a similar situation that we are in now. And he that's what happened. Then he became the Flying Dutchman and everyone's like, oh, but don't worry. The Dutchman's not going to visit us. Like, it's not that bad. And then someone was like, well, I heard the Flying Dutchman. Um, Vanderdecken has like some letters and uh, the letters are cursed. And everyone's like, what are you talking about letters? Some of this conversation having been overheard by the passengers, there was a commotion among them. In the meantime, the noise of the waves against the vessel could scarcely be distinguished from the sounds of the distant thunder. The wind had extinguished the light in the binnacle where the compass was, and no one could tell which way the ship's head lay. The passengers were afraid to ask questions, lest they should augment the secret sensation of fear which chilled every heart, or learn any more than they already knew. 
for while they attributed their agitation of mind to the state of the weather, it was sufficiently perceptible that their alarms also arose from a cause of which they did not acknowledge. The lamp at the binnacle being relighted, they perceived that the ship lay closer to the wind than she had hitherto done, and the spirits of the passengers were somewhat revived. Nevertheless, neither the temptuous state of the atmosphere nor the thunder had ceased, and soon a vivid flash of lightning showed the waves tumbling all around us, and in the distance, the flying Dutchman scudding furiously before the wind under a press of canvas. The sight was but momentary, but it was sufficient to remove all doubt from the minds of the passengers. One of the men cried aloud, There she goes, top gallants and all. The chaplain brought up his prayer book in order that he might draw from them something to fortify and tranquilize the minds of the rest. Therefore, taking his seat near the binnacle so that the light shone upon the white leaves of the book, he, in a solemn tone, read out the service for those distressed at sea. The sailors stood round with folded arms and looked as if they thought it would be of little use, but this served to occupy the attention of those on deck for a while. In the meantime, the flashing of lightning becoming less vivid showed nothing else, far or near but the billows weltering round the vessel. The sailors seemed to think that they had not seen the worst, but confined their remarks and prognostations to their own circle. At this time, the captain, who had hitherto remained in his berth, came on deck, and with a gay and unconcerned air, inquired what was the cause of the general dread. He said he had thought they had already seen the worst of the weather, and wondered what his men had raised such a hubbub about, a cap full of wind. Mention being made of the Flying Dutchman, the captain laughed. He said he would very like much to see a vessel carrying a top-gallant sails in such a night, for it would be a sight worth looking at. Now, do you know what top-gallant sails are? Is that like a special kind of sail, or does that mean... I'm just going to throw out three guesses. One, special kind of sail. Two, a sail full of wind. Three, a sail that is at the top of the mast. I think it's kind of all of those. So my understanding from what I read from the sources is that when it's really stormy and there's wind gusting from every which direction, you don't have your sails at full mast. Like you put them all Mm. away. So that way your boat's not getting tossed around in the wind. And what was so creepy to these people who saw what they believe is the Flying Dutchman on the stormy night is that they're like, this this boat had all of its sails up, which no like sane sailor or human sailors would have all of their sails up in a storm like this. And so the captain is like, what well, came out of his bed unbothered. And he's like, what is everyone upset about? Like, the, we've already seen the worst of the storm go by. They're like, we just saw a boat that had all of its sails up or whatever. And the captain is just like, Pfft. Yeah, I would like to see that because there's no way you saw that because there's there's no way a ship could have the sails up in this wind right now. That's spooky. I like that. I like that image of like everyone else is just fighting for their lives on these tumultuous waves. It's dark. It's scary. Rain's coming from all directions. Waves are crashing over the boat. And then you just see the fucking flying Dutchman and he's just smooth sailing with all of his sails out. And you're like, well, hope he doesn't see us. 
Right. Like yep. how do how do ghosts see people? Do they see people like people see people or is it like echolocation? Like if you're quiet, will a ghost not see you? These are the greatest questions of our generation and we're setting out to answer them on this podcast. So let's find out. The chaplain, taking him by one of the buttons of his coat, drew him aside and appeared to enter into serious conversation with him. While they were talking together, the captain was heard to say, Let us look to our own ship and not mind such things. And accordingly, he sent a man aloft to see if it was all right about the foretop sail yard, which was chafing the mast with a loud noise. It was Tom Willis who went up, and when he came down, he said that it was all tight and that he hoped it would soon get clearer and that they could see no more of what they were most afraid of. The captain and first mate were heard laughing loudly together, while the chaplain observed that it would be better to repress such unseasonable gaiety. The second mate, a native of Scotland whose name was Duncan Sanderson, having attended one of the university classes at Aberdeen, thought himself too wise to believe all the sailors said and took part with the captain. He jestingly told Tom Willis to borrow his grandam's spectacles the next time he was sent to keep a lookout ahead. So there's there's a, a division. Douche. I know there's like a division that's going on on this boat. Like half of the people are really terrified because they saw the Flying Dutchman and the other half are like, oh, making jokes about it because they don't believe it's true. And the people right. who are making fun are like, do not make fun because you're going to get us all cursed. Like you don't. You don't That's make fun of the Flying Dutchman. Yeah, no, absolutely not. You don't question his Dutchness or his flyingness. And on top of it, that's just so such a skeptic mentality. Like all these people around you are like, I saw a building on fire. And then you, the skeptic, are standing in the burning building. And you're like, look, it's not burning. I'll prove it by not leaving the burning building. And then they burn alive. And that's why you just need to be a believer of the Flying Dutchman just in case. Right. Pick me. Uh, I'm not scared of ghostly ships. Uh, pick me. I think that ghostly ships should actually be grateful to be seen by me because I make six <laughs> figures and I believe in... <laughs> I believe in traditional sailing rules. Because I believe in traditional sailing rules. I believe in not having the sails at top mast because I make six figures and the Flying Dutchman can fucking make an appointment with my secretary if he has a problem. I'm not worried about it. Call Spectrum and tell them I'm not worried about it. So Tom walked sulkily away, muttering that he would nevertheless trust his own eyes till morning and accordingly took his station at the bow and appeared to watch attentively as before. The sound of talking soon ceased, for many returned to their berths, and we heard nothing but the clanking of ropes upon the mast and the bursting of billows ahead as the vessel successively took the seas. But after a considerable interval of darkness, gleams of lightning began to reappear. Tom Willis suddenly called out, Vanderdecken again! Vanderdecken again! I see them letting down a boat! All who were on deck ran to the bows. The next flash of lightning shone far and wide over the raging sea and showed us not only the Flying Dutchman at a distance, but also a boat coming from her with four men. The boat was within two cables length of our ship's side. The man who first saw her ran to the captain and asked whether they should hail her or not. The captain, walking about in great agitation, made no reply. The first mate cried, Who's going to heave a rope to that boat? 
The men looked at each other without offering to do anything. The boat had come very near the chains, and when Tom Willis cried out, What do you want, or what devil has blown you here in such weather? A piercing voice from the boat replied in English, We want to speak with your captain. The captain took no notice of this, and Vanderdecken's boot, having come close alongside one of the men, came upon deck and appeared like a fatigued and weather-beaten seaman holding some letters in his hand. Our sailors all drew back. The chaplain, however, looking steadfastly upon him, went forward a few steps and asked, What is the purpose of this visit? The stranger replied, we have long been kept here by foul weather, and Vanderdecken wishes to send these letters to his friends in Europe. Our captain now came forward and said as firmly as he could, I wish Vanderdecken would put his letters on board of any other vessel rather than mine. The stranger replied, We have tried many a ship, but most of them refuse our letters. Upon which Tom Willis muttered, it will be best for us if we do the same, for they say there is sometimes a sinking weight in your paper. The stranger took no notice of this, but asked where we were from. On being told that we were from Portsmouth, he said, as if with a strong feeling, Would that you had rather been from Amsterdam? Oh, that we saw it again, we must see our friends again. When he uttered those words, the men who were in the boat below wrung their heads and cried in a piercing tone in Dutch, Oh, that we saw it again! We have long been here beating about, but we must see our friends again. The chaplain asked the stranger, How long have you been at sea? He replied, We have lost our count, for our almanac was blown overboard. Our ship, you see, is there still. So why should you ask how long we have been at sea? for Vanderdecken only wishes to write home and comfort his friends. To which the chaplain replied, Your letters, I fear, would be no use in Amsterdam, even if they were delivered, for the persons to whom they are addressed are probably no longer to be found there except under a very ancient green turf in the churchyard. Burn. Yeah. Like, oh, everyone you've ever loved is dead, so give up on your quest of <laughs> delivering the letters. <laughs> Sick burn. The unwelcome stranger then wrung his hands and appeared to weep and replied, It is impossible. We cannot believe you. We have been long driving about here, but country nor relations cannot be so easily forgotten. There is not a raindrop in the air, but feels itself kindred to all the rest, and they fall back into the sea to meet with each other again. How then can kindred blood be made to forget where it came from? Even our bodies are part of the ground of Holland, and Vanderdecken says if he once were to come to Amsterdam, he would rather be changed into a stone post, well fixed into the ground, than to leave it again, if that were to die elsewhere. But in the meantime, we only ask you to take these letters. The chaplain, looking at him with astonishment, said, This is the insanity of natural affection, which rebels against all measures of time and distance. The stranger continued, Here is a letter from our second mate to his dear and only remaining friend, his uncle, the merchant who lives on the second house on Stunken Yacht Quay. He held forth the letter, but no one would approach it or take it. Tom Willis raised his voice and said, one of our men here says that he was in Amsterdam last summer, and he knows for certain that the street called Stunken Yacht Quay was pulled down 60 years ago, and now there's only a large church at that place. The man from the Flying Dutchman said, It is impossible. We cannot believe you. 
Here's another letter from myself in which I have sent a bake note to my dear sister to buy some gallant lace to make herself a high headdress. Tom Willis, hearing this, said, It is most likely now that her head lies under a tombstone which will outlast all of the changes of fashion. But on what house is your banknote? The stranger replied, On the house of Vanderbrucker and Company. The man of whom Tom Willis had spoken said, Well, I guess there will now be some discount upon it, for that banking house was gone to destruction forty years ago, and Vanderbrucker was afterwards a missing. But to remember these things is like raking up the bottom of an old canal. The stranger called out passionately. It is impossible. We cannot believe it. It is cruel to say such things to people in our condition. There is a letter from our captain himself to his much beloved and faithful wife, whom he left at a pleasant summer dwelling on the border of Armler Mare. She promised to have the house beautifully painted and gilded before he came back, and to get a new set of looking glasses for the principal chamber, that she might see as many images of Vanderdecken as if she had six husbands at once. The man replied, There has been time enough for her to have had six husbands since then. But were she were alive still, there is no fear that Vanderdecken would ever get home to disturb her. On hearing this, the stranger again shed tears and said if they would not take the letters, he would leave them. And looking around, he offered the parcel to the captain, chaplain, and to the rest of the crew successively, but each drew back as it was offered and put his hands behind his back. He then laid the letters upon the deck and placed upon them a piece of iron, which was was lying near to prevent them from being blown away. Having done this, he swung himself over the gangway and went into the boat. We heard the others speak to him, but the rise of a sudden squall prevented us from distinguishing his reply. The boat was seen to quit the ship's side, and in a few moments there were no more traces of her than if she had ever been there. The sailors rubbed their eyes as if doubting what they had just witnessed, but the parcel still lay upon the deck and proved the reality of what had just passed. Duncan Saunderson, the Scotch mate, asked the captain if he should take them up and put them in the letter bag. Receiving no reply, he would have lifted them if it had not been for Tom Willis, who pulled him back, saying that nobody should touch them. In the meantime, the captain went down to the cabin, and the chaplain, having followed him, found him at his bottle case, pouring out a large dram of brandy. The captain, although somewhat disconcerted, immediately offered the glass to him, saying, Here, Charters, is what is good in a cold night. The chaplain declined drinking anything, and the captain having swallowed the bumper, they both returned to the deck where they found the seamen giving their opinions concerning what should be done with the letters. Tom Willis proposed pick them up on a harpoon and throw it overboard. Another speaker said, I have always heard it asserted that it is neither safe to accept them voluntarily, nor when they are left to throw them out of the ship. Let no one touch them, said the carpenter. The way to do with the letters from the Flying Dutchman is to case them upon the deck by nailing boards over them so that if he sends back for them, they're still here to give them. The carpenter went to fetch his tools. During his absence, the ship gave so violent a pitch that the piece of iron slid off the letters and they were whirled overboard by the wind like birds of evil omen whirring through the air. There was a cry of joy among the sailors and they ascribed the favorable change which took place in the weather to our having got quit of Vanderdecken. We soon got underway again. The night watch being set, the rest of the crew retired to their berths. And that is the end of that story. What do you think of that? First of all, I loved it. I love old-timey sea tales. Second of all, honestly, I just felt really, really bad for the guy that was trying to give the letters to the people mm -hmm. on the ship. And I was just thinking, like, if I were in that position, I would definitely accept the letters because I would feel bad. And then that's another way I would accidentally become cursed. But yeah, and then, like, the chaplain is just roasting this poor damned soul 
being like, oh, well, this guy says that your sister's definitely dead and her head is six feet underground. But if you want to give her some lace, that's on you, bud. Like that was also just like unnecessarily cruel. But I think, you know, in olden times, people were just more blunt in general, perhaps. But I, I did love the story. It's very spooky. It's very like I picture myself just being on the deck of a ship while this weird ghost man is trying to hand me a letter. Right. Yeah, I I did feel really bad for them. I kind of like that was the first time that I actually felt bad for the sailors because he was like crying that he missed his wife and was like, oh, she promised that she was going to paint the house and she got these special spectacles that are like, I, I guess, like raver glasses for uh, 1700s people <laughs> where it like just casts like a kaleidoscope type thing. And she was like, oh, so I'll be able to see six of you at once because I've missed you so much. And the guy's like, oh, she probably had six fucking guys fuck her since you've been gone. And That's she's what dead. I mean. That's what I mean. It was just roast after unnecessary <laughs> roast. But I guess in the end, they survived. So maybe that was the path that they needed to take in order to make it back home. Maybe they. Maybe this is a lesson in here. Maybe we all just need to be dicks. <laughs> that story played upon the popular belief that anything from the Flying Dutchman is doomed and that there's a curse at play aboard the ship. But that story also added a really spooky detail. The belief that the crew of the Dutchman were desperately trying to contact their loved ones despite having so much time passed that the letters that they were using to contact wouldn't even be able to be delivered. Are the crew of the Dutchman stuck in a time warp? Are they victims of a curse and unable to realize that they're ghosts? Are they just humans who have some sort of supernatural powers given to them by the Flying Dutchman? Who is to say? We just don't know exactly how the curse works. Would the crew of the ship who brought the letters above be swapped to sail the Flying Dutchman if they had kept the letters? I literally don't know, and I don't know how to finish this paragraph. <laughs> That's it. I mean, those are all really good questions. I Again, I just think that there is very little that creeps me out more than the idea of stone tape theory, except for, and so no time to explain. For those who don't know, you can go back and listen to our episode on Le Loyon. All you have to do is Google Let's Get Haunted Le Loyon. And in that episode, we talk about stone tape theory. But TLDR, it's a theory that what ghosts are actually doing is playing out their final moments over and over and over again on, on a loop. But in that theory, it's more of like an echo or a recording rather than like a living, breathing being. And what it sounds like from the story of the Flying Dutchman, that doesn't sound to me like a recording because this guy, presumably, who's trying to give the letters, is responding to the questions being asked of him. So he's responding in a unique way, I would assume, every time he tries to talk to another person on a, on a different ship to give these letters away, right. because otherwise he wouldn't be able to have a conversation, right? So that is scarier than stone tape theory, because now you're living out your final moments on a loop, but you are conscious during right. it's it. like It's like Groundhog's Day. Like it just keeps resetting, but you remember every time it resets. Yeah. But then, and then also though, he like is in denial because he's like, no, it can't be true. You have to give my letters away. You, it, it can't be true that it's been 60 years or 40 years. Like, no, like you, you have to go find my family. And so it's just, it's so mm -hmm. sad because it's 
just a super confused person that doesn't understand why they've been stuck in a storm. And they're probably in panic mode because in a storm, it's all hands on deck, right? Like you have to, I don't know what you do because I'm not a, a seaman, but like you probably have to scuttle the bow and like scuttle the ship's the top mass. sail yeah. yeah and and clang the bell and so like everyone's running around like mopping or whatever i don't know and then <laughs> uh, and then like you're just doing that for all of eternity so you're probably sweaty and tired and hungry but you're just in a constant state of adrenaline rush and then every once in a while a boat comes by and you're like please for the love of god help me right. and then nobody ever wants to help you yeah. It's so scary. It is one of the scariest fates I could ever imagine. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, is that people spot this Flying Dutchman and it's not just like, so we, we've we talked a lot about the folklore and stories and uh, that have come from people seeing the Flying Dutchman. And we've talked about people who have heard stories of other people who have saw the Flying Dutchman. But there's also like legit Mariner's logs where they're like actually seeing the Flying Dutchman and logging it. The cruise of Her Majesty's ship Bacante in 1881 has a log that talks about seeing the Flying Dutchman. It says July 11th, 1881. 1881. At 4 a.m., the Flying Dutchman crossed our bows. A strange red light as of a phantom ship all aglow, in the midst of which light the mast, spars, and sails of a brig 200 yards distant stood out in strong relief as she came up to the port bow. The lookout man on the forecastle reported her as close to the port bow, where also the officer of the watch from the bridge clearly saw her, as did also the quarterdeck midshipman who was sent forward at once to the forecastle, but on arriving there no vestige nor any sign whatsoever of any material ship was able to be seen either near or right away to the horizon. The night being clear and the sea being calm, 13 persons altogether saw her, whether it was Von Diemen or the Flying Dutchman or who else must remain unknown. The Tourmaline and Cleopatra, who were other boats that were sailing at the same time, flashed to ask whether we had seen that strange red light. At 10.45 a.m., the ordinary seaman who had this morning reported the Flying Dutchman fell from the foretop mast cross trees onto the top gallant forecastle and was smashed to atoms. Literally, oh the guy gosh. that had spotted the Flying Dutchman fucking fell to his death from that mast. I hate that. I hate that description, smashed to Adams, like it just told Splat City. Oh, ugh. It says at 4.15 p.m. after quarters, we hove to with the head yards back and he was buried in the sea. He was a smart royal yardman and one of the most promising young hands in the ship. And everyone felt quite sad at his loss. At the next port we came to, the admiral was also smitten down. In the pre-dawn hours of July 11th, 1881, off the coast of Australia, the ship saw her once again. That is a case of like a real ship's log that is like, oh, we're seeing a ship and they're, they're, they everyone fucking saw it. And then when they went to go get a closer look at it, like they ran from their positions they were on, it just fucking disappeared. And then later that day, the dude who saw it fell to his death and everyone was sad about it because they were like, oh, like he saw the Flying Dutchman and he died. But it's not just like people on that ship were the only ones who saw it. There were other ships in the area that were shining lights and like doing their whatever not echolocation how do they communicate it's like not morse code <laughs> what is it i don't know with fucking yeah, lights. it's like morse code but with lights yeah where it's like or flags i know okay in girl scouts we had to learn how to do the alphabet and flags for when you're on a ship oh wow okay so that's probably how they do it then yeah, yeah but how but at, at night you wouldn't be able to see that though so it has maybe there's also morse code by lights 
Yeah, probably. But other ships, the Tourmaline and the Cleopatra, asked them. They were like, hey, did you guys see that weird light just now? So who's to say? I don't know. Survivors of a shipwreck called the Joseph Somers described that on February 29th of 1857, they were in the southern Atlantic Ocean and they saw the Flying Dutchman sail underneath their bow, like submerged in the water, like under meet them and they were oh, able to I see, love that they were able to see the captain of the flying dutchman and they said that the flying dutchman captain had quote eyes like hot coals and his white hair streaming in the wind ghostly laughter penetrated the fog and the next moment their vessel was ablaze on fire and what wait yeah. whose vessel the flying dutchman so okay so this flying dutchman is sailing in front of this ship but not only is it sailing in front of them, but it's underwater. Yeah. So the sailors have to look down to see this weird, creepy ship going underneath them. And then there's the captain looking up with these coal, glowing coal eyes. And then the whole ship catches on fire on, underwater and then slowly disappears. Yeah. Okay. I love that. That's inc- that is so metal. That is so cool. In Wagner's famous opera Der Fliegende Hollander, Captain Vanderdecken <laughs> is only allowed to come on shore every once in a seven years, and he's only allowed to do that to go seek a woman's love. And once he have a like a woman's love, apparently is the only thing that can free him from the curse, which I think is kind of interesting. That is interesting because aren't women supposed to be bad luck on ships back in uh- this time? Oh yeah, that's true. Well, that's so what, the yeah. only way the only way to get not cursed is to temporarily get more cursed, and then the curse one curse plus one curse equals no curse. One curse is all it takes. All it takes. Falling in love, Falling with, in curse. love with curses. <laughs> Possibility curses. I just need the love of one woman. Yeah, I mean that seems like. I, I, I could make it work. I feel like because the alternative is like sailing on a, a hell boat for eternity. But to have the only other option, OK, either you're going to sail on a hell boat for eternity or once every seven years you can go ashore. And if somehow you can make a woman that you don't fucking know fall in love with you <laughs> that after you've literally been sailing a hell boat for eternity and probably haven't showered and might have like barnacles for eyes at this point because you're like a weird uh like ghost of the ocean zombie yeah, yeah. um then the, then that seems just kind of like patronizing like oh well but you can get out of the curse if you can just go make a, a woman on the shore fall in love with a sailor that is also a fish person who might be on fire <laughs> Okay, this whole time I thought it was a euphemism for having sex with a woman. And I was going to ask you, uh, would you bang a damned Dutch half-devil ghost zombie barnacle man? I mean, it could go one of two ways. Like, it could, like, if it's, it's it could be gross. To save his soul. It could be really gross. Oh, to save his soul? Like, I would be doing, like. Yeah. But then like am I going to saving... get all kinds of diseases or am I, like, immune from oh, whatever yeah. diseases? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, you'd for sure get like scurvy. <laughs> you don't get scurvy through sex. I know that was a joke. Oh, okay. <gasps> yeah, you'd for sure get scurvy and gangrene. And yeah, you'd probably have a lot of things. I, 
I don't know. It's really hard for me to even picture what that looks like. Like, what does someone who hasn't showered in months who's been on the ocean just like getting drunk on on alcohol? Because you couldn't drink the water on these old ships because it was like would make you sick. So everyone was just drinking beer all the time or like brandy or rum or whatever. Yeah. I mean, look, let's look at the pros. Because uh, there's a lot of cons, so let's let's look at the pros. First pro, you're you're saving an entire ship, not just him, right? You're sh- saving the entire crew aboard the Flying Dutchman, plus you're saving the Flying Dutchman himself. Pro number two, he has a job, and the job stability is definitely there because he's been doing this for hundreds of years at this point, thousands of years at this point. I mean, so you super famous too. Yeah, three. Number three, you'll probably become famous by proxy because he'll be invited on Ellen and Ellen will be like, tell the story of how you went from a zombie barnacle to a real boy. And then he's going to be like, oh, well, it's all thanks to Natalia and uh, let's get haunted. And then wait a minute. That's the real treasure. Yeah, actually, this sounds like it would be really good for our brand if I was the person who freed the Flying Dutchman crew from the Flying Dutchman. I 100%. I'm like, I think I've almost convinced myself that this would be a good career move because it's the opposite of accidentally cursing yourself for money, right? Like you're uncursing yourself for success and like ease of life in the future. Captain Jack Sparrow is like hot though, like, right? Like we've all decided he's the character is hot. The character, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it could be like a down situation. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and also if his eyes are glowing with fire, like that could be kind of interesting. It's like, you know, you at least know you're not going to be cold. Um, Right. He generates his own heat. Oh, pick me. My eyes are on fire. And I have a curse. Oh, your your current, you know, suitor is going to take you out for a nice steak dinner. Well, guess what? I bet you he can't do this. And then the Flying Dutchman just roasts the steak on his eyes. (laughs) There's a lot of pros the more we think about it. He kind of, he sounds really interesting. Like he probably has so yeah. many good stories. Like you would definitely become a blogger or something after you are the person to free the Lost Dutchman crew. Story time. <laughs> the story of how I met my half-cursed thousand-year-old husband. Right. And then later there's like a tearful of like, hey guys, well, me and the flying Dutchman guy crew, uh, we we've we've decided to call it quits. And I really you know, I just want to say thank you guys so much to everyone who supported the channel over the years. And I know every seven years uh, we were able to go above land and you guys have all supported us in that. And um, there's been so many good memories. I don't want to take away the good memories because we'll always have those. You know how they do like breakup confessionals? Yeah. Get ready with me to disembark off of the Flying Dutchman for the first time in seven years. <laughs> there's so many. Oh, there's so many good. Okay, let's do it. do that. Flying Dutchman, where are you? We need to make those TikToks happen. We do. Oh, you're right. You know, if we were, again, not to be negative, but going back to the beginning of why it's so frustrating when technology in general doesn't work is because it reduces efficiency. And when efficiency is reduced, we don't have time for all these cool, creative things we could be doing to uh, bring in new listeners like a get ready with me as I uh, am going to, you know, step on soil. Yeah. Yeah. Think about, man, we could be we could really be something. 
if we could only find the Flying Dutchman. Many sightings of the Dutchman during wartime by reputable crews have made this legend infamous within sailing circles. In 1939, at the beginning of World War II, the residents of Cape Town, South Africa, saw a vessel that was under full sail during a major storm. Again, raised some major red flags. Why is this vessel have all of their sails up when any normal vessel would not have all of their sails up? Full sail just would not make sense during a storm. According to the sighting, they saw the Flying Dutchman with full sails and it was going full speed ahead right about to crash into the rocks. And then right as it was about to crash into the rocks, it just disappeared into thin air. On August 3rd, 1942, HMS Jubilee was sailing towards the Royal Navy base near Cape Town. At 9 p.m., the Flying Dutchman was spotted. The second officer, Davies, the third officer, Nicholas Montserrat, were both on watch. Fearing imminent collision, Montserrat tried to signal to the strange ship, but he received no response. According to Davies' log, he witnessed a schooner of a class that he did not recognize that was moving under full sail despite there being no wind. The Jubilee had to change its course to avoid crashing into this ghost ship. And changing course during wartime would have been a really serious manner that was not taken lightly. The spotters and the officers would have had to discuss for a really long time. Oh, hey, we're going off course. We're maneuvering right now. We're going to blow our cover. It was like a big deal. So the fact that they changed course reveals how serious the threat of collision really was. And after this, both Montserrat and Davies ended up writing novels about their experience with the ghost ship. The books The Master Mariner and the cruel sea both tell their stories. But the last place the Flying Dutchman was spotted was during World War II as well. There was a German U-boat, a submarine, that saw a ghost ship in the Suez Canal. The spotters and the crew of the U-boat were so certain that they had seen the Flying Dutchman that Admiral Karl Donitz wrote, quote, The men said they preferred the strength of the Allied fleet in the North Atlantic to the terror of a second meeting with the Phantom, end quote. So the fucking Germans in the U-boat are like, we would rather the entire Allied fleet meet us in the North Atlantic right now than see that ghost ship again. It must be pretty bad then. Um, yeah. It must be like not worth it to have sex with the flying Dutchman. But I just find that so hard to believe. But I I mean, I've never seen him, though. So I guess I have to believe the firsthand accounts of the people that were on this U-boat. That's pretty wild, though, that because that's not that long ago in terms of like history. That's yeah. modern. That's pretty modern history. World right. War II. Yeah, yeah. I also read an account that said the crew of the Flying Dutchman is immortal and that they can't be killed unless they're released from their service. And also that the crew had been on that ship so long that they just forgot who they were and they became one with the ghost ship entirely. So like that's why they're sometimes like their skin is like made of wood and stuff and the movies. I don't know. Um, I just read it and felt like you needed to know that too. So you might still be left with some questions like, wait, if the Pirates of the Caribbean movies were historically accurate, then what about Davy Jones' locker? Well, according to the sources, Davy Jones' locker is an idiom that refers to the bottom of the sea, which is the resting place for sailors who drown at sea, obviously. And in the 18th century, it was just a really popular myth among pirates 
that Davy Jones locker was real. It really existed. It was really down there at the bottom of the sea. And if you drown, you end up in the locker. Davy Jones was also sometimes referred to as the sailor's devil or the evil god of the seas. But the phrase itself, Davy Jones, is is so old that it's almost untraceable. It's like folklore at this point. According to some versions of the myth, not only is Davy Jones the captain of the Flying Dutchman, he's also responsible for ferrying souls to the underworld. Also, he could only set foot on land after a decade and reunite with Calypso, who was the sea goddess. But according to that version of events, when he came back, Calypso had deserted him. According to the sources, quote, After Calypso's betrayal, Davy Jones carved his heart and locked it in the dead man's chest. He abandoned his duty and turned into an ugly monster with an octopus-like face, a tentacle beard, and crab legs and hands. As he abandoned his duties, Davy Jones was cursed to be consumed by aquatic flora and fauna. He and his crew grew monstrous features like tentacles. End quote. So Captain Barbosa is the skeleton man. Yeah. D- d- doomed captain of the Black Pearl. And... Davy Jones is the squid. This is about, are you telling me or asking me? Well, I'm saying it out loud so that I don't forget because uh, as everyone knows, I'm constantly mixing up Davy Jones and Captain Barbosa. Captain Barbosa was a dude. He was like, had like a beard, right? And he was like, ah, he was always mad at Jack Sparrow. Yeah. And then when he, he, but he was cursed. And so under moonlight, he would turn into a skeleton. Wait. Then who's the guy with the tentacles for the beard? Davy Jones. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> no, no. That's, so yeah. See, you guys, this is why you, at this point, they're the same person. Okay. At this point, Davy Jones <laughs> Wait, is thought, the I Flying thought... Dutchman, is Captain Barbosa. And the and the the Flying Dutchman is also a boat. So like a boat and a person and another person are all the same thing. But I am confused too because I'm just realizing that I thought Captain Barbosa turned in into the squid guy when 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 oh. he, it was moonlight. Did he? I don't know. In the very first so. one, they turned into skeletons in the moonlight, right? Like yeah, the very first captain, the very first Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh my god, I have to Google this. this yeah, is going they did to bother me. Okay, all right, is Captain Barbosa, a squid. Hector Barbosa, DisneyWiki.fandom.com. All right, we're about to get the answers, you guys. Here we go. Captain Hector Barbosa is a main character in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, first appearing as the main antagonist of Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. A ferocious captain of the Black Pearl, a vile pirate returned from the dead, Barbosa was the ultimate survivor and deadly enemy of the Captain Jack Sparrow. After leading a mutiny against Jack, Captain Barbosa and his crew fell under cursed treasure and spent 10 years lifting the curse, leading to his death by Sparrow. Resurrected by the mystic Tia Dalma, Barbosa summoned the Brethren Court to battle Lord Cutler Beckett, I don't remember any of this, and the legendary sailor Davy Jones. Hector later lost his leg and the Black Pearl. Now serving as a privateer and commanding the HMS Providence, Barbosa claims to owe his allegiance to King George II, but after an uneasy alliance with Jack Sparrow, Barbosa reveals it is revenge on Blackbeard rather than valor that pushes the Navy captain toward the fountain. During the quest for the trident of Poseidon, Hector Barbosa <laughs> sacrificed himself to save his daughter, Karina Smith, from Captain Salazar. What? Is this still the movies? <laughs> the... 
Pirates of the yes, Caribbean movies? I don't remember any of that. Isn't that like kind of the meme about the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, though, is that like no one can follow the plot and it's just like two ships <laughs> fighting in a whirlpool, though? <laughs> like, isn't that like the joke of them? Oh, God. At this point, I don't know. But I think we can definitively say from that, from that. <laughs> There's no way someone that Poseidon's trident was anywhere in any of those movies. Now they're mixing up completely different myths. Like that's like Greek mythology. Movies. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, guys. But if you have any insight, (laughs) leave leave a comment. (laughs) Everyone, leave us like a paragraph, like super long paragraph, telling us the play-by-play plot of the different pirates of the caribbean movies but i just want them to be like all out of order so people who don't listen to our podcast will like come to our instagram and just be like why are all of the comments about pirates of the caribbean like you know the song from lonely island where they invite michael bolton to like come be on their show yeah yeah just seen the pirates of the caribbean the night before so like all of his background singing is like this is the tale tale of Captain captain jack sparrow pirates so brave of the seven seas, the seas. they sail okay, guys. to the island of the tortuga. isle of tortuga yeah i don't know the rest but yes I... okay can we invent a new copy pasta and just start spamming the subreddit <laughs> with this copy pasta and spamming like random threads on reddit with the copy pasta i don't mm-hmm. know what it should be i think it needs to happen organically the haunties need to spam the comments of the photo dump for this episode with different copy pasta options and whichever one gains the most virality is what we are going to use to spam various message boards of the internet. Wow. I love that idea. According to some versions. Okay. So this is really fucked up. This is the most haunted versions of events. Uh, This is like uncomfortable. If you have triggers about people should be how they should, they should act human and treat other people well then don't listen to this part because this is like some really fucked up shit that I'm about to say. Skip ahead like a minute and a half. The most haunted version of events is that Davy Jones was actually the real life owner of a British pub and Davy Jones used to make his customers super drunk and then take them hostage and lock them in his ale locker and then later sell them off to passing ships as enslaved people. It gets worse though. According to this version of events... The British pub owner, Davy Jones, went bankrupt after he was selling people as enslaved people, and then he became a pirate. Once he was a pirate, he stole a ship and he went on to sail across the Atlantic Ocean. And while he was sailing the Atlantic Ocean, he captured other ships and he took their crews aboard his ship. And then he would decapitate them when they were on his ship. And the ones that were survivors that he didn't decapitate them for whatever reason, he locked them to their boat and then just sank their ship with them and it locked in there not i who was this davy jones (laughs) like i don't know if someone is just really haunted and made this up because they were like let me just think of the fucking worst thing i could think of or if this was really a real british pub owner named davy jones who uh lived during the 1600s i don't know it sounds like he was a criminal and a crook so like who the fuck knows like where his records would be you know i don't know wow in Welsh, I do, I, yeah, I don't know. that's sorry, that fucked me up. All right, go ahead. 
In Welsh seafaring culture, Davy Jones is the patron saint, St. David, who protects sailors from harsh weather. According to this legend, St. David only protects the good sailors and the immoral sailors are sent to Davy Jones' locker. Some theories also suggest that Davy Jones comes from the name of Duppy, who is a West Indian demon. According to the island lore, Duppy haunts people at night, much like the Flying Dutchman. So could be an amalgamation of all of those different people. I'm not sure. Let's get into the theories. <clears throat> Theory number one is that there are no theories and that Pirates of the Caribbean movie series was a historical documentary. <laughs> In this theory, the events transpiring in the films Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl from 2003, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest from 2006, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End 2007, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides from 2011, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales from 2017 are all true facts and basically no time to explain. Just watch all the movies. But the Flying Dutchman isn't even in any of those movies. Really? No, it is, isn't it? No. Okay, so you don't agree with theory <laughs> number one then. The Black Pearl and the Flying Dutchman, I feel like, I feel like they couldn't call the Black Pearl, the Flying Dutchman, because it's like problematic. And Disney was like all about that money. And they're like, we're not going to let this stupid fucking name get in the way of us having one of the most successful franchises of all time. You know? All right. Fair. I don't know. You guys, what do you think? Is that theory wrong? <laughs> let us know. Look, I'm now changing my mind just to be provocative. And I'm saying true. Theory number one, I don't even need to hear the rest, but <laughs> let's hear them anyway. Theory number two is Fata Morgana or a superior mirage. I am going to show you some pictures. Can you see that first picture? Uh, yes. So Natalia is showing me two images of a Fata Morgana. So the first one is a diagram drawing explaining how the mirage is formed. And honestly, I'm not good at geometry. So you guys are going to have to go to at Let's Get Haunted in order to figure this out for yourself but i think what they're saying is that the world is not flat and so <laughs> when you look off into the horizon um stuff is curved and it can result in an issue with your eyes much like when you're driving through a desert and you think you see piles of water in the heat um but it's not it's just sand uh or in other movies where someone sees a burger stand in the middle of the desert um it's like that so picture that but it, it it's like it makes a regular ship look like it's floating. And then the second photo Natalia is showing me is of an actual photo. And it shows a giant cruise ship that appears to be hovering in the air. But because of the diagram she showed me first, we know that it's not actually hovering in the air. It is simply an optical illusion. Or is it? I, but that's just like, isn't that a crazy fucking picture of that huge cruise ship? Like it's literally floating like 50 feet above the ocean. Yeah, it's, su it's super cool. I love it. Like, I wish it had. Uh, I wish it was a cooler ship. I wish it was like an old timey pirate ship. Right. Well, that's what it would have looked like in old timey times. So the most acclaimed logical explanation for these sightings is that it is a superior mirage, which is also called Fata Morgana. According to 
scientists, apparently, this is just like a natural optical illusion that occurs when there's moisture and atmospheric conditions. Uh, and you know about science and lights and refractories and all that kind of stuff. We don't give a fuck, so let's not spend too much time on that. But it's basically a mirage, and it can make shit look fucking crazy. Here is another picture of that Fata Morgana. So the next one that Natalia is showing me looks like it comes from the New York Times. And the picture is titled The Flying Ship Cornwall. And the caption reads, an example of an optical illusion known as a superior mirage, which occurs when the temperature difference between the sea and the air causes a change in air density and forces light from the sun to bend around the horizon. Oh, that's super cool. I like sciencey stuff like that. Yes, it is a photo taken from land of a super long ship out in the distance. Cargo ship. Um, The ship is red and white. And yeah, it's just floating like 300 feet in the air. So that image went super viral because apparently there was this guy in Cornwall, England who just like saw this and took a picture um, and I'm going to read the article for the NY Times because I cannot explain science in my own words but it's weird because the guy that saw it and it went viral he's like trying to like he's he has like a weird attitude. Okay let me just read it so you can see what I mean. According to an article for the NY Times quote air is not always the same. It has different properties whether it's cold or hot so as light travels differently through the different layers, our brain tries to make sense of that. In the case of Mr. Morris's experience, the viral photo that I just showed you, since cold air is denser than warm air, light rays coming up from the ship were bent downward. From the coast, it appeared to Mr. Morris that the ship was in a higher position than it really would have been. Mr. Morris, the guy who took this picture and it went viral, said that this was also not the first time that he had seen what appeared to be a floating ship, although the BBC forecaster David Brain said in a short video that what happened was highly uncommon. Quote, it's quite unusual to see such an optical illusion in British waters, but it does happen very rarely, he said. Superior mirages are more common in the Arctic where they occur because temperature differences between the sea and the air cause a similar change in air density with greater frequency. In the Cornwall, Mr. Morris said that he hadn't paid attention for too long to the levitating ship. Instead, he marveled at the landscape around him, and as he resumed his walk, he said, quote, I told myself how lucky we are to live in this part of the world end quote what a pleasant man really i feel like he's kind of like a pick me guy because he's like trying to not be interested (laughs) in the floating ship and i'm like why because you took this picture it went viral you just like were interviewed by the new york times about this clearly like like is he just trying to it has to serve a purpose like there's a fucking choice he made to act like he just like didn't care that there was a levitating ship even though he took a picture of it and it went viral and he's now talking to the new york times and on the bbc because he took the picture so i just why did he feel like he had to say that was it to sound smarter like like he's just like oh look i'm not a caveman jumping up and down screaming ghost ship because i understand science like but like why did he why did he do that i don't like what did he the vibes that i was getting i hate when i don't know their motives (laughs) the vibes i was getting was like grandpa vibes i feel like a grandpa even if somebody like ran up and like tried to murder them in a in a newspaper article later they'd just be like Oh, well, uh, I was just getting hard candy from the shop down the way, and this bloke ran up to me and stabbed me, but it is no worry, because I did not die, for the sergeant was nearby and tased his ass and took him away. So he basically, like, has 
dementia and that's it no he's like a modest grandpa that's oh. like that's like uh oh no one worry for me i am simply glad to still be living <laughs> or or he has dementia <laughs> Also, they act like that explanation of like light bending is satisfactory enough to just leave it at that. But I'm also like, what the fuck do they mean light bends? Like you can't even touch light. It's not fucking real. I can't see it. Therefore, I don't <laughs> understand it. And 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 then the, so what you're going to tell me air bends too. So like the last airbender wasn't just a fantasy like that was real science oh, wow. now, too. I don't know the why. The last just... airbender. Yeah. Av the Avatar. What was the guy's name? Was his name the Avatar? I think his name was the last airbender. Okay. If the Avatar, the last airbender um, is related to Davy Jones, let us know. I feel like all these mystical creatures that we've covered, they have to like get together from time to time and have like a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas meal or whatever holidays you celebrate when you're dead. Um, and they have to know each other on a certain level. It's like when I was a child and I thought that the Easter Bunny was friends with Jesus in heaven. And then I would get like super paranoid around Easter time because I'd be like, oh, my God, if I'm not a good girl, then the Easter Bunny will see because he must be like omniscient, like Jesus and Santa Claus. And so I, I won't get an Easter basket with a chocolate bunny in it if I don't behave. And similarly, I feel like all of the uh, scary, fucked up, cursed people and gods of the ocean and stuff that we've learned about over time have to know each other somehow. I mean, I don't know. Maybe is it like celebrities where, you know, you go to this Vanity Fair Oscar after party and, oh, uh, you know, we haven't met in person, but like we all know each other because we're all famous. And like, I've obviously seen your pictures, so I'm not going to like come up to you and be like, oh, who are you? Like, nice to meet you. Uh, my name is Sandra Bullock. And I know we haven't yeah. met in person and I know every other person here. So I would like to introduce myself. No, because that would be fake and fucking weird. So you probably just avoid each other. And all the famous people probably just like don't look at each other or talk to each other. And they go home and they feel really lonely because actually they're really famous and they have everything they want. But they can't even fucking like relate to each other because they don't know how. Because we haven't taught children in our society how to relate to each other if they become famous or haunted and right. also this brings up a new conspiracy theory that i am now going to perpetuate sandra bullock i think is part of this undead crew because she seems to not age and she gave an interview once where she said that she gets uh like skin foreskin cells injected into her face to remain healthy and to look young. And so yeah, that's a real that Who I think figured you're the that one that one told out? me that. Oh really? no, I'm pretty sure you're the one that told me that. Yeah. I think <laughs> you showed you it to me. me. Yeah. No, you showed me an interview. Oh really? She gave, yeah, where she was like, Yeah, I, I get this thing done that's like microneedling, but they use blood. And then the interviewer was like, Okay, but where's where do they get these cells from? or whatever and she was like four skins of babies you yeah i mean maybe it was a giant joke but now i'm like all right sandra bullock for sure is on a first name basis with the devil captain barbosa <laughs> okay last two theories we can do this the last whoop, whoop. 
the penultimate theory is a cape flyaway. Do you know what a cape flyaway is? Nope. So Cape of Good Hope, it's like this haunted area where there's lots of hurricanes. So cape flyaways refer to the ships that were abandoned by the crew because it was uh, like too fucking sketch to sail them. So the crew was like, you know what? Fuck this. We're not going down with this boat. We're going to get in a little dinghy and we are going to leave and survive. And so there was just like abandoned sailing ships that were floating around the Cape of Good Hope and they were called Cape Flyaways. And there were tons of them all the time until the 1930s. That's when the last one was destroyed. But they were really dangerous because they were just unmanned sailing ships that were just like sailing around abandoned. I I love that. I love that. I love that that's like a real thing that was happening. So not only while sailing the seven seas, do you have to worry about getting to your destination on time, not having a mutiny, um, not dying, um, not hitting a typhoon or, or heavy seas or a storm or whatever, but and and ghosts. But also like you have to worry about these totally abandoned real real ass ships that could just crash into you at any moment. That's that's kind of cool. The last theory is pirates disguised as the Dutchman. So this is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> it's pirates disguise themselves as pe- like the doomed sailors that are on the Flying Dutchman. And they do it to scare people. And so that way they can like sneak up on them and take their shit and be pirates. Evidence to support this is that during World War II, multiple different people from all the different countries, even the like the Allied forces and the Pacific Theater and uh, all the other fucking people, Germany, whoever the fuck, Eurasia, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, they all claimed that they saw the Flying Dutchman. So was it like a psyop? Was it just like one of the other forces trying to fuck shit up? Because they're like, hey, we, you know, if we are spying on them in uh, just like a normal fucking submarine and they see us spying on them, they might just torpedo us. But if we instead spy on them in like a haunted ship vessel, maybe they won't torpedo us because they're like, oh, I can't torpedo this uh, ghost ship because if it ends up that I w- that it's not real or I'm just hallucinating right now from stress, then I'm going to be in huge trouble and probably this is a war crime. So perhaps, I don't know. Who is to say? Yeah, that's scary too. Just imagining you're part of a crew that is sailing through a wartime situation and you're like, okay, how are we going to do this without being destroyed? I know. Let's all dress up with barnacles hot glued to our head (laughs) and like old, like let's put like George Washington's powder from his wigs on our whole bodies and tatter our clothes, like pre-tatter them Mm -hmm. and just like tell people we're haunted and- yeah, and scare yeah. the shit out of them and they'll let us pass. Yeah, I don't know. What's your favorite theory? Wow. What do you think of this episode? First of all, I love it. I It's very spooky. I love maritime mysteries. There's something about them that are just like romantic, not in the way of like love romantic, but just like like there's something cool about like, ah, the love of the open sea. And like, whereas we know, obviously in reality, it was not glamorous at all, but there's something that is so glamorous about those types of old folklore. And I just really, really like them. And I now want to like buy a children's book about the Flying Dutchman or something and like just give it to my niece because it's super cool. I love I love the uh, color behind these stories. Like they're always very colorful and that's why people always say, oh, like sailors spin the wildest tales. You can never tell if they're lying or not because they just have the best stories. So I love it. I think my favorite theory, I like the idea of there being 
both a real ghost ship, like a real flying Dutchman ghost ship and abandoned ships careening into people and just like also a guy that's trying to live his life so he dresses up as the flying dutchman so no one fucks with him okay (laughs) sorry i got distracted because i was thinking about theory number one about the pirates of the caribbean movie series because okay tell me what do you think this means so the curse of the black pearl came out in 2003 but the next the sequel Dead Man's Chest came out in 2006, right? So that's three years between those two, right? But then At World's End came out in 2007, which is one year. But then the next one came out in 2011, (laughs) which is four years. And then the next one after that, right? Yeah, I just love that. It's not whatever's going to come out is a spontaneous theory and I'm ready for it. (laughs) No, but then just listen, the last one, Dead Man Tells No Tales came out in 2017, which is 2011, 12, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 6. Okay, never mind. Because I thought that they were all like three years apart. And then I was wondering what is like the secret clue that we're trying to figure out between Dead Man's Chest and World's End only being one year apart when the rest of them have oh. like such a, a longer time between each of the movies. But there's no pattern there. So I don't know. <laughs> but sometimes the pattern is a lack of pattern. So who is to say? It just seems weird that Dead Man's Chest would come out in 2006 and then At World's End would come out in 2007. But the rest of them have like several years between them. I mean, I feel like they're trying to tell us something. Yeah. Yeah. Seven. uh, It goes to heaven. Maybe it's such a cursed story that they were like, you know what? We need some angel numbers in there to even it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the tale of the Flying Dutchman. I loved it. You did? I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes. Loved everything about it. And I think that this story gives like a little bit of everything. And we've had people requesting pirate stories for a while. And so I think that this is going to be a very welcome surprise to the Haunties. And I really enjoyed myself. Great job. Thank you. Would you like to do our sign off? I sure would. BRB, gotta go to planned piratehood to cure my sexually transmitted scurvy. Bye. Bye. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.